Let's open our Bibles to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's all about him is the theme we want to have today. There was no collusion in me bringing to you Haggai chapter 2 and Brady bringing to you Psalm 126. He didn't know what I was going to do and I didn't know what he was going to do. But Psalm 126 is about the recovery from captivity in Babylon and so is Haggai 2. John chapter 12. What a blessing we have to have a recorded written history in our language of what took place 2,000 years ago in Israel with the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let me read to you the first 12 verses, first 11 of this chapter. John 12, 1 through 11. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence? And given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Amen and amen Amen. to the word of God. I hope that you enjoyed reading some extended passages about this event last night in the Gospel of Matthew, where there are more details given. We go ahead and trust it to be the same event since the language describing the anointing is so similar. The little tiny differences shouldn't alarm you because they happen with any event recorded by any two different reporters. Was it one Gadarene that was delivered by Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee, or was it two? Yes, is the better answer. Mark chapter 5 wants to tell us that it was one. Matthew chapter 8 wants to tell us it was two. It was two, but one was focused on in Mark chapter 5. And so if one place says she anointed his head, another says she anointed his feet, could she have done both? Why wouldn't she have done both? Could she have anointed his head enough that it ran down to his feet? There's all kinds of explanations, and you shouldn't get alarmed. I will tell you that there are certain things in the Bible I don't care about. And that is fussing about details like that, 
when I have so many examples of the Lord leaving minor discrepancies like that because they're not important to the lesson. And we want the lesson, Lord, we want the lesson. A good theme for our chapter is our theme for today. It's all about him. This chapter glorifies Jesus many different ways. Start at verse 1 and find in most verses a reference to Jesus that is glorifying, intense, or passionate. Try it sometime. Just go through this chapter and see what it has to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already been asked by one of our young men in his early 20s, challenged was the word. May I challenge you this morning, Pastor, before I can even get in the pulpit. I have a $20 bill for you at the end of the second service if you don't get past the second word of this chapter. I don't need $20 to do that. I just need the challenge and the encouragement and to have a young man in our church that would do that. Do you know what the young men are doing in every other church? Almost every other church? They are talking about sports. They're talking about their jobs. They're talking about what they're going to do this afternoon. They're talking about girls. And to hear that was just wonderful. And I hope that it encourages your heart. Work me over at break time and I may tell you who it was. Nothing else in your life, my brothers, comes even close to the importance of these historical facts about God's Son. And I want to be presumptuous enough to tell you that I believe the key verses in this chapter are verses 31 and 32, and the rest of it surrounds those verses. And I hope that by the time we get there, the Lord will show us everything he wants us to get out of those two verses, nothing more, but nothing less. Verses 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. That was some transcendent event dependent upon Jesus Christ dying, because what he's describing here is his death. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He was cast out of where, and where did he end up? What could he do that he no longer does? What does he do still? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me describing the way that he would die. He would die a Roman death, not a Jewish death. A Jewish death would have been stoning him. A Roman death was to suspend him between heaven and earth on a cross. And great things were accomplished by that. The great mystery of godliness tells us that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, and received up into glory. And it all turned on the fact that he laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. But we're not to verses 31 and 32 and 30 yet. We're going to get there sometime. We can't get there today, though I wanted to get there today. The second word of this chapter is Jesus, because it's all about him. In Haggai 2, it's all about him. The desire of all nations came and filled the latter house with glory. We understand things that God has prophesied and things that God has promised. There are two temples in Jerusalem. And there aren't three. There's two. Some of us have been fed so much garbage. If there's a third temple that ever appears in Jerusalem, it's the devil's temple. Yet once. What in the world did those words mean? The Apostle Paul told us what those words meant in Hebrews chapter 12. Yet once. 
There is one more change in religion, not two. We are in the final change of religion, and that is New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus Christ, sprinkled blood religion. There is no more to come. That second house disappeared from the face of the earth in 70 AD by the Roman armies. So that prophecy of Haggai 2 is completely, entirely, 2,000 years stale. It is not future at all. It is past. And we can show the fulfillment of it when the desire of all nations came to that second house, that temple, and graced it with his presence, and filled it with his glory, and preached his gospel there. Thank you, Lord, for showing us such wonderful things. When you hear someone trying to tell you about rebuilding a temple in Jerusalem, it is the devil's temple, not the temple of Jesus Christ. There is not a word in the Bible about a third temple, except this temple that you're sitting in right now. This is the temple of God. Because worship has changed to a spiritual sort of our understanding in our hearts in this place. Lord, show us these things as clearly as we can possibly bear them and reveal thyself and thy son to us by thy spirit. Verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Six days. We are in the final week of the life of Jesus Christ. Right here. So that you, when you look at the 21 chapters of John, they are not spread proportionately to his three-and-a-half-year ministry. They are not spread proportionately to his 33-and-a-half years of life on earth. Right here, we are in the final week before his crucifixion. So the, the climax of his life, the end, the purpose, the goal for why he was in this world is just around the corner. And his mind is more possessed by it than it has been. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem to lay down his life for us. And so the chapter starts with us knowing that we are in the final week of his life. Chapter 11, we weren't sure. We knew it was a few months before, likely, because he went and spent time at at Ephraim afterwards, according to verse 54 of chapter 11. But here we are. Six days before the Passover came to Bethany. This chapter of John 12 is not predominantly about Martha or Mary or Lazarus like chapter 11 was, but about Jesus. It's about him. It's all about him. I want your life to be all about him. The more your life is about him, the more blessed, happy, fruitful you will be. Your problems will disappear in the light of his glorious grace, in the light of his blessed, beautiful face. Your life, your marriage, your home. Let our homes be Christ-centered homes where the greatest joy we have is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest bond we have with our spouse is sharing the Lord Jesus Christ and talking about him. For those of you that love John 11, I do not fault you, but I'm just going to convert you (laughs) before I get done with John chapter 12. There's just so much more in John 12 than there is in John 11. There's not nearly so many little details about a man dying and a man being raised again. That event is large, but uh, it doesn't even compare. It's not even to be mentioned in the same sentence or the same paragraph with, now is the judgment of this world. And I, if I be lifted up. 
It's not Lazarus dying in John 12. It's Jesus dying. And it's Jesus being lifted up. And I'm not making fun of John 11 at all. I want to encourage you. I want to excite you about what we have in front of you so that you're not regretting that we've passed over John 11. Some have already come to me and said, John 12? What about John 17? That's what they've said to me. And I, I agree. Let's just keep building the case. Right. To the trial, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the glory, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why should we move past the second word of this chapter without good meditation? And what a glorious name it is. Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is our Savior. Jesus, the name given to him by the angel, both to Joseph and to Mary, because he would save his people from their sins. John wrote this gospel for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, is God's Son, and that believing we might have life through his name, Amen. be in the possession of eternal life with the first evidence of it, and that's believing that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth transcends all personalities and events in human history. Do you understand that? Nothing else has ever occurred to be compared to it. All other events cannot be compared to it. I don't care if they got scurvy on the Santa Maria on their way to America. I couldn't care less. I don't care if it was Christopher Columbus or Carl Columbus. The events of the world are nothing in comparison to this event. Amen. All the rest are just props. Props for this event, right. and to get us here to where we heard the gospel on the North American continent, and we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ right here by God's grace. Amen. If you want to bring Christopher Columbus up in the light of that, I'll listen to you. Otherwise, it's just a lot of stuff to put in your mind that you'll never use and you will forget. You're trying to remember, was it really the Santa Maria? You're trying to remember, did they really get scurvy? Lord, have mercy upon us to keep first things first always. Yeah. Jesus of Nazareth should be the most crucial person and purpose in your life over everything else squared. And when you square something, that's pretty significant, especially if it's a number of things, because each of you have a number of things in your life that you think are important, but let's make it all about him in our lives. Get in your head and heart from the introduction that it's all about him. It's a disgraceful shame when Christians fuss about infantile issues other than him. Lord, forgive us and save us. Amen. Hate all earthly relationships that compete with him, just like he taught us. He's the one that taught it. I'm not, I don't bring some new doctrine to you. I bring his doctrine to you. If any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother and his brother and his sister and his son and his daughters and so forth, he cannot be my disciple because he's not worthy of me. Because you have missed recognizing who Jesus is. It's all about him. Right. Everything else fades into shadows when compared to him. No other issue in life can compare with him. It should only take about 10 minutes of hearing Jesus Christ to have no problems left in your life. If you have a problem left in the 11th minute after hearing about Jesus Christ, you either didn't hear about him, because he wasn't presented properly, or you don't have ears to hear, or you refuse to hear. Right. Because once you hear about him, and you're going to think about someone else has left you, the love of your life has left you, 
No one has ever loved you and no one ever will love you. Right. Period. Except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This other stuff is called lust. This other stuff is friendship. This other stuff is platonic. This other stuff is sexual, which is less than platonic. It doesn't compare to the love of Christ. If you have Christ and you know he's with you and he's walking with you and you're supping with him and he's supping with you, it doesn't matter what other people do. Yes, it's that son of God that told us how to love our spouses. It's that son of God that told us how to love our children. But it all comes after learning to hate them in comparison to him. He didn't mean hate literally. He meant hate comparatively. Because he should be first. And when he's first, everything else works out the best. I've said it so many times. The house is the most beautiful, comfortable place you've ever lived in when Jesus Christ is the center of you and it. Amen. Your spouse is the most handsome if it's a man. Your spouse is the most beautiful if it's a woman when Jesus Christ is first in your heart and in your marriage. Amen. The difference is phenomenal. There's no makeover that can do what happens to Sherry when I make over with the Lord. Amen. Now, she doesn't need much help. Remember that one. <laughs> she doesn't, I'm telling you the truth, brethren. It's all about him. Right. I'm 61 years old almost. I've known about him since I was a, the youngest child. I invited him into my heart to be my Lord and Savior when I was but three years old under the supervision of both of my parents, one of which was a Baptist pastor, none of which is to say that that is true doctrine, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ as much as I could at three, which isn't very much at three. But since three to 61, have I had dry days in my life where I was the most miserable, in my opinion, in my judgment, in my analysis, I was the most miserable human being on planet Earth back then out of four billion people because Christ wasn't first in my life. And I have played that foolish game of trying to find fulfillment in life, but it's in Christ. Amen. It's all about Him. Everything is better when He's first. Right. How do we make Him first? We think about him. We talk about him. We love him. We commune with him. We read about him. We confess our sins to him. We ask him for strength. We look for something to do so that we can anoint his feet with ointment, costly ointment, and wipe them with the hairs of our head. Because that's what we want to think about in this first sermon. What can I do to anoint the feet of Jesus since he's not here and since I don't have any expensive ointment? What can we do? There's things we can do. Lord, help us. Show us those things that we can do. Who are the greatest lovers of Christ in this church? It is in works and fruit. It is not in heart and mind. It's fruitfulness of doing things for him. Mary did it publicly. There is a false humility that some gather, and they think they gather it from the pages of Scripture. If God does not like public service to him, you would never have read about Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. Because most everything that happened to Jesus and that Jesus did isn't recorded in the Bible. But this event is recorded in the Bible. 
It's recorded over and over in the Bible. And Jesus said, this event that she did in public to me is going to be kept as a memorial for her for 2,000 years now. And it's going to be preached in every known language. And it's been written in a Bible in most languages. It was public. It was service to Christ done publicly. She didn't do it for the praise of men. And there's the issue of humility. The issue of humility is never doing something in public. The issue of humility is doing it for God's glory, His pleasure, and not the praise of men. Some people think because someone else does something in public, they did it for the praise of men. That's because they have already sold their souls to the devil to even have that thought. Because to have that thought means that you have no charity or Christian love in your heart or your mind because that's why you think that thought. You only think that thought because you are following the devil. The Holy Spirit has never given you that thought, and your new man has never given you that critical idea. Because the Bible says to believe all things and to hope all things. That's what Christian charity does. Oh, let's make him first in our lives. Every part of our lives, and Lord, show us how to do that. We're down to the final week before our Lord gives his life on Calvary's cross. Jesus died in close conjunction to the Passover feast as the true fulfillment of it. His shed blood must be in place for Almighty God to pass over you. We are all going to leave this world, or Jesus Christ is going to come to us first, and we're going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And we will be thankful for the word Passover in that day, because He will pass over us in judgment, because the blood of Christ will be over us. And the blood of Christ was sprinkled over us when it was sprinkled upon the book of life. And it was sprinkled in heaven and received by God through the Holy Spirit in a figurative, symbolic way of all the blood that was shed on earth by animal sacrifices. And he will pass over us. Where Lazarus was, which had been dead. So now the city of Bethany is known as the city of Lazarus. The little Bethany had taken on some notoriety because now it had a man that was raised from the dead after four days in the tomb. Lazarus and his two sisters lived in this city. Verse 2, there they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. There they made him a supper. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have the Lord Jesus Christ to our home? Would you do some meet up, brother? Would you grill some good flesh? Yes, we would. And we can think about it, and we should think about it, to think of what a pleasure that would be. But we should only think about it for a few seconds. Because it's impossible directly that inferior way. Has he given us any better way to do it? When we do it to the least of these, his brethren. Ah, that sacrifice becomes better because we do it to one of the least of these, his brethren as if we did it unto him. Or we do it in spiritual fellowship, which is a whole lot better than peeling carrots and boiling them in some water for him. Okay, ladies, I'm sorry. I know that peeling carrots is very moving to you and peeling potatoes is very meaningful to you as well. But the the other supper that is described in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 is bringing him in for personal, intimate fellowship, one-on-one, person-to-person, not being distracted with a meal of potatoes and carrots. 
but a meal of his gospel, a meal of his love for his people, a meal of what he did in the cross for us, a meal of the joy and fellowship that we have with him. That's what he's offering in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, and it's what we can have and it's better. So while we look at the words of verse 2, there they made him a supper, and for a moment you should get very excited about a privilege that they had and they did not squander it. Well, at least two of them didn't squander it. One of them wanted to be in the kitchen. The other one wanted to be sitting next to him. And the other one wanted to be at his feet. And you need to choose which one of those three you like the most. I don't want to be in the kitchen for more than one reason, and you know that. Do I want to be sitting beside the Lord Jesus Christ or at his feet? I want to start this day off by telling you, I do not understand what God hath willed, what God hath planned, that I would ever be one of his preachers. Because all I want to be is one of his babes and sucklings screaming out hosannas to him. I would break more palm branches than anyone else sitting in here. I want to hear you say, no, 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 you'd be second. One sister's already told me that this morning. I told her that if the Lord Jesus Christ were here, I'd send all of you home and I'd spend my time at his feet. And she said, I'd push you out of the way. <laughs> I like a disrespectful girl like that. She's a married woman in here. One of you's married to a great woman. Right. We want to be like Mary. Brethren, make this personal. When I look at those, the second word of verse 1 gets me. This first clause of verse 2 gets me. There they made him a supper. Ah, but we can do it. Jesus Christ, when we meet him in heaven, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus will say to those sheep on his right hand, you fed me when I was hungry. Lord, when did we ever do that? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. How? We have it. They had one shot. We can do it weekly. We can do it every other day. Right. We can do it this afternoon as soon as I'll let you go. You can do it to the least of, and we can do it to the Lord Jesus Christ. How much do you love him? Right. Because we've got to figure out how do we get to do what Martha, Lazarus, and Mary did to him. That's what you've got to figure out before I finish. How do we do it? There they made him a supper. And Martha served. Now we've learned this about Martha before. It's a shame that though Jesus rebuked her for it gently in Luke chapter 10, she's doing it again here in John chapter 12. We're down to the final week of our Lord's life. She was an efficiency-minded woman because she wanted to be about the details and the tasks that were at hand instead of turning some of them over to the Lord so that, she, so that she could give herself more fully to him. Now Mary was willing to sit in the house. Mary was willing to sit at his feet and to be taught of him. And Mary had been saving, kept. She kept it. She kept a bottle of special ointment for a special occasion for her Savior, and she brought it for the Lord. Now Mary is the one we want to be the most like. Jesus loved Martha. And in the household of faith, there are Marys and there are Marthas and there are Lazaruses, and we're not told much about Lazarus, except that he's sitting with the Lord. But it may have been his house, or it may have been his sponsored meal at Simon the leper's house. Those details are not what count. What We never read another thing about Simon the leper. What we want to read about is Martha, Lazarus, and Mary, because we're told about them. 
And we want to be more like Mary than Martha. Here we're told that Martha served. Martha was a better Christian than 99% of Christians, but she still lacked the final edge on her priorities. Efficiency-minded persons can easily steal from the Lord the passion they owe Him because they're so efficient, because they're so organized, because they're so structured, they don't have the passion that is necessary to bring a costly bottle of ointment into a group of men that are eating together and make a scene. She had no fear of the scene. She had no care for the cost. She had no problem with the humility of being down at his feet. And it did not bother her to mess up her hair with his feet. She wanted to be intimate, personal, expensive, sacrificial, and loving in public to him. And she did. And Jesus said, this will be remembered forever about her. We've already run into her, didn't we? In one verse back there in chapter 11, in parentheses is verse 2 of John chapter 11. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. How do we learn about Lazarus? Oh, he's the lucky guy. You know I don't believe in luck. He's the lucky guy that was married to Mar- that was sis- brother to Mary. Right. Oh, Lazarus is pretty special. He's got a sister named Mary that did that. That the gospel has always told us about. That everyone knows about in the whole world. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that. Amen. We have also learned about Mary. She was a very exceptional lover of Jesus Christ while Martha was serving in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. Mary's chosen the better part. And Mary was just sitting at her feet. Well, that's lazy. Sometimes doing nothing is better than doing something. Because if you're a Christian, doing nothing means you're doing something that is greater than everything else you do. And that something is to meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ and to commune with him and to muse of him and to fellowship with him and to rejoice with him and be glad about him and be excited about him and punch the air about him and tell him how wonderful he is. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, my blessed Redeemer. Praise me, praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. Sometimes... Doing nothing but doing some of that in your heart, in your home, in your office, in your closet, with music, without music, with the word of God, without music, with prayer, without prayer, is better than going and slicing the next bun. That's a Crosbyism. Because every day has to be started off with looking at a mountain of buns and cutting the next bun. Don't worry about it. Whatever you get up and do every day that distracts you, There needs to be time to do this with him. Mary understood that. Mary was a better Christian than Martha, and we want to be like her, not Martha. Though the difference was minor, the difference was significant enough, as you should be able to tell by just reading the second verse and the third verse. A woman that truly loves Jesus Christ has no problems. They're lost in her love for him. They're so minor and insignificant. She does the best she can with those problems and trusts the Lord for the rest. Godly women, however, are not nuns at convents. Godly men are not monks at monasteries. Some women 
Catholic nuns for sure, and others like them, think, because of what I've said so far, and because of this passage, that to sit around and read the Bible and pray and listen to sermons would be the best calling that a woman could ever have, or the best thing she could ever have. No, it is not. God does not want you to do that. You are a disgrace to Jesus Christ when you do that. It does not matter what you say to him. It does not matter what you sing to him. It does not matter what you say about him. If you're doing that, you are a disgrace to Jesus Christ. If you're a man and you sit around and listen to sermons and want to study outlines and read systematic theologies and pray like a monk in a monastery, you are a disgrace to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has taught very clearly that he wants us to get jobs and go out and do them. A virtuous woman is described in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and there's only a brief minor reference made there that she fears God. It's in verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's all you have about her relationship with God. Because the rest of the time, she is sweating. Sweat, she is perspiring on her forehead, arms, and other places. She is working hard. She is getting up early. She's in the kitchen. She's out of the kitchen. She's in the yard. She's with the kids. She's with the domestics. She's looking at a field. She's buying it. She's setting up wholesalers. She's setting up manufacturing. She's working. And if you don't work, you're a disgrace to him. I can tell you about Mary without the Bible telling me anything about Mary. When Jesus wasn't at home, she was working her 15 to 18 hour days every day except the Sabbath. And she was working hard because that's what the Lord wants us to do. So don't get off track. The Lord wants us to be balanced and you can do both. And do you know how you can do both? I I hope you're thinking, how are you going to anoint the feet of Jesus? I'm going to tell you right now. Everything you do, including peeling potatoes and peeling carrots and putting them into boiling water and everything else you do, do, done to the Lord, is anointing him. His feet aren't here. You can't afford the ointment Mary could afford. So what can you do? Everything you do as unto the Lord. When you pick up that next carrot, knowing that it's loaded with carbohydrates, and you are going to peel it. Sorry. And you're going to peel it. Do it as unto the Lord. Because you can peel a carrot or you can peel a carrot. And that doesn't mean taking extra time. It means giving it extra attention. Do it as unto the Lord. Everything you do is unto the Lord. We'll get there in a moment. Maybe we'll get there. And it won't be a moment. Godly women are not nuns at convents. And godly men are not monks at monasteries. They are diligent Trojans. Because that's how the Bible describes them. You know, when we meet... Uh, Dorcas. We meet Dorcas around Acts chapter 9. Dorcas, well-loved by the church. They sent for Peter when she was ill. She died. Peter had to raise her to life again. When Peter found her on her bed, and there were widows all around that bed, the widows told him how she prayed something like 10 hours a day, right? She read the Bible through three times a year instead of once. And she read the whole thing, not Pastor Crosby's cheat sheet. Is that what they told Peter? What'd they tell Peter? He said, Peter, 
Look at this. She made this for me. I have no family. I have no money. She made this coat for me. Let's get the balance right. That woman gets raised from the dead. That woman gets raised from the dead. There were women at Thessalonica that thought they could sit around and talk about the coming of Jesus. Paul said, starve them to death. If you don't understand that I just put chapter 3 together for you very fast, along with chapter 2 and chapter 1, you need to go read your Bible. When Paul heard that there were Thessalonians that thought the coming of Jesus Christ was imminent, so they weren't worrying about their jobs, but they were going from house to house and talking about Jesus coming, starve them to death. A man that does not work, and I don't care the reason, a man that does not work, neither shall he eat. We gave you an example as the greatest apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we were with you, we preached during the daytime and we sowed tents at night. Or we, sowed, or we preached at night and sowed tents during the day. We gave you an example of how the greatest Christians live. Clemson University, tomorrow morning. It's a bad drive there. Clemson University, tomorrow morning, it's a bad drive there. But you're going to go there, and you're going to go there, and you're going to prepare on the way there, like our brother David in Michigan prepares. And when you get there, you're going to hit the ground running, and you're going to do it as unto the Lord, and he receives it as such. Right. That is serving the Lord Christ. Martha did it from a kitchen. You get to do it at Clemson University, you two brothers. The words in the Bible are serving the Lord Christ. And when you do it unto him in a special way, the best that you can do, the reasonably best that you can do, you're anointing his feet because you're doing it with the extra level of personal attention to the glory of Jesus Christ. The rest of you, it's the same wherever you go. Godly women can manage large families, work jobs, provide charity service, and still love Christ. Churches have three kinds of women, a few Marys, more Marthas, and they have belly worshipers. What's a belly worshiper in the Bible? Someone who minds earthly things. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought that we, were we have to mind earthly things. Yes, you mind earthly things. You do them as unto the Lord. And you do them because the Lord told you to do them. You don't do them because they are an end for you or fulfilling for you. You do them because doing them to, for the Lord does fulfill you. Because you're doing them for him. Right. And I hope the distinction that I'm making is not so fine that you can't see it but that you want to do it as soon as you can. But I don't believe you want to go to work this afternoon. That'll be tomorrow morning. Well, except you women, sorry. Oh, a father works from son to son. A mother's work is never done. I just failed that one. So before you get to put your weary head on a pillow tonight, ladies, did you do it as unto the Lord? Everything you did? May the Lord bless you to do it that way. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Can you see the Lord Jesus Christ possibly sitting between two of his trophies of grace? Here Lazarus is mentioned. In the other two places, Simon the leper is mentioned. Is Simon the leper called Simon the leper in the Bible because Jesus healed him from leprosy? Or is he called Simon the leper because his last name was leper? <laughs> if Simon the leper had a, had a feast in his house, can you see the Lord Jesus Christ? Wow, that's beautiful. Do you love your Savior just thinking about that? Amen. Lazarus he raised from the dead. Simon he healed from leprosy. His good works are around him. Praise the Lord. That's our, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now see, that's so simple. 
How many people did he heal in his lifetime? Everywhere he went, there were healed people or relatives of healed people that, that he had healed with his goodness and graciousness and power here on earth. What is your greatest title? Your best description? Can it get me better than a trophy of God's grace? A lover of Jesus Christ? Or both? Can we be a trophy of God's grace and a lover of Jesus Christ? Lord, help us to be. Verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. We've learned about Mary. And you read a more detailed account last night of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. This is that exceptional Mary that distinguished herself from Martha. First in Luke 10, why don't we read it? Luke 10, I don't care if that I can't get to where I want to be before we have our break. I do not want to refer to passages of Scripture that some of our children and some of you may not be familiar with because this one is worth understanding and knowing a distinction made between two women, both of whom Jesus loved, both of whom loved Jesus, but one was distracted and the other was not. And we want to be the undistracted kind. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. What certain village was this? Bethany. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. Oh, can you hear that? That is just so common, that kind of thinking. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, carrots, potatoes, and the other things that you get worried about. But one thing is needful, and it's not carrots or potatoes. One thing is needful, one thing's more important. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Every woman and every man, listen, brothers, we can get just as distracted as they can, should learn these five verses and understand them, embrace them, and want to be Mary and not Martha. We have to be Martha a lot of the time, but we do, we do our Martha duties with our Mary spirit as unto the Lord. And we make sure that in our lives there is time where we can be a Mary in a closet, maybe in a car, in bed, I have shared with you the only place I can really get away from everything because my mind wanders too easily is in bed. Nothing bothers me there. And I'm thankful for David and Elihu explaining that it can be done in bed. Wherever you can be alone with the Lord, you need that time with him to be like Mary. These are five great verses. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Here's where we're first introduced to Martha and Mary, and the difference in them, Martha, cumbered about, worried, troubled by the details of hosting the Lord, and Mary just wanting to look, hear everything that he has to say. So for preaching services, for when you read the Bible, you've got to get away from your distractions so that you can focus on what Jesus has to say to you. Right. Don't just rip through a chapter to mark off a page. It's, it's defeating the purpose. That is why... Jonathan Crosby's cheat sheet is one chapter a day. It is not to slight.
the rest of the Bible. It is to help you slow down so that you can do it meditatively to hear whatever Jesus Christ or God through the Holy Spirit says to you. Three chapters is three times as much to digest. And if you, I've told you that if you land on one verse in your one chapter in the morning and you land on one verse and you pull it into your mouth and you suck on it like a piece of candy or you polish it like a diamond stone, you have read enough. You just tell the Lord how much you love him because of that verse. You just, just inhale that verse. I don't know how to put it into words. I'm trying. Inhale that verse. Suck on that verse and draw every bit out of it that you can. The Bible does compare the reading of God's word with our necessary food, with honey and milk. And that's like honeycomb with milk poured over it or sugar-frosted flakes or whatever you like to eat in the morning. Make it real to you. Embrace it. Inhale it. Love it. Shout about it inside. Lord, this is... Pray it. Thank him for it. Read it again. Read it again. Write it on a three-by-five card. Stick it in your pocket and memorize it during the day. Quote it to him at lunch. Quote it to him at supper. Don't check three boxes because you read three chapters and you're a hero of the faith. That's Martha. You say, reading the Bible, I could be Martha? Absolutely. Martha was serving Jesus. And Jesus told her, you chose the wrong part. Back to John chapter 12. A pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. An aromatic substance employed in ancient times in the preparation of a costly ointment or oil obtained from an eastern plant, now identified as a plant that grows in northern India. Spikenard. It was used by the Shulamite. Her hot body bore testimony of it because it's described three times in the book of Song of Solomon that the aroma of that ointment on her was emanating outward while she sat at the king's table in chapter 1 and other places that I'll not read to you at this time. Fussing about Spikenard and wanting to know more about it is more foolish than Martha serving and neglecting Jesus, so I'm done with talking about Spikenard. I have heard sermons in my lifetime with them wanting to go off and tell you about Spikenard. I, I would have a little table up here by now, and there'd be a little bit of Spikenard here, and you could all pass by it and smell a little bit, and we could talk about Spikenard and waste the whole time. All I want to tell you about is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. All I want to tell you is that it was very costly, and I don't have to make anything up from an encyclopedia or a dictionary. It says it was very costly. It caused an outrage, not only by Judas Iscariot, but other apostles, for the amount of money that was wasted what a different mentality when the lord's involved how do you waste money could we be wasteful as a church i suppose we could i suppose we could we haven't we won't but what side are we going to err on the side of conservatism martha no it's not martha are we going to err on the side of conservatism who's the spirit behind conservatism when it comes to the lord Judas Iscariot. Yeah. Judas Iscariot. Martha wasn't conservative. She invited the Lord into her house and fixed a meal for him at her expense. She served. She got down and served like a slave, like a servant girl. We want to be liberal. Brethren, you've got to think about what you can do in your life to be liberal toward the Lord. We have benefactors outside this church that have never been here with us that love the Lord Jesus Christ enough to be liberal toward us. We need to be liberal toward the Lord. They're liberal toward the Lord through us. She was like David. Remember David? 
The, the angel has his sword drawn. 70,000 men of Israel fall. The angel sheathes his sword. David runs to the spot and wants to offer a sacrifice to God. He doesn't have anything because he just ran there. And so he asks for the Jebusite that owns that hill for his yoke of oxen. He'll buy it at market price. And for the yoke, he'll use as the wood. And the man says, I give it to you. And the Bible says that Arana the Jebusite treated David like Arana himself was a king. And David said, I'm not going to worship the Lord if it doesn't cost me. And that's one of the places in the Bible where you learn about David and why David was like Mary and Mary was like David. King Saul, he'd have raised taxes right then to pay for everything. He never did anything for the Lord. Solomon. Solomon wanted to raise it all by taxes. Who raised the money for Solomon's temple? David did. Keep the men straight in the Bible and their different character because we want to pick the ones that have the character we want to be like. And we want to be like Mary, and she had the character of David. She was like David before her, that when he was going to build the temple, it wasn't going to be an efficient structure. It wasn't going to be a conservative structure. It was going to be exceeding magnificent. It was going to be a palace fit for God. It wasn't going to look like other palaces on earth that are built for Men. He said all that. He said it's a, it's a palace for God. And so it was costly, very costly. The sums of money raised for that building are the largest sums found in the Bible. And there are some events in the Bible that are huge tributes required by kings of other nations. They don't right. even come close to what David raised in money for that temple. And so it tells us here, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. What have you done, known by all, or what will you do, very costly for our Lord? It's not to be known of others. It's if you've done it publicly, others already know it, like Mary. It is false humility and ignorance of Scripture to think you can or must do it privately. Mary made quite the scene by interrupting this gathering of men to anoint her Lord. And the Lord wanted it recorded in the Bible, but not only recorded, recorded multiple times, not only recorded multiple times, but preached as part of the gospel for 2,000 years about this woman. Every aspect of David's preparation for Solomon's temple is recorded in the Bible. How much iron, how many nails, how much brass, how much silver, how much gold recorded. Where the trees came from, how far away they were, what city, floated down the Mediterranean, brought overland, where they got their craftsmen, all those details that cost an enormous amount of money are recorded in the Bible for us to appreciate what David went through to build a house worthy of God's name. And we want to build a house worthy of God's name, and that does not mean our new building, building committee, needs stained glass windows. That would be a waste, and that would be Roman Catholic. See how efficient you can be in sparing up money to do things? Like spread our website so that we can share more about Jesus Christ to more that need to hear of him and want to hear of him. This passionate gift by Mary was recorded three times and preached millions of times. He's not here physically, so what can we do? Wives that fully submit, obey, and reverence their husbands anoint Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at a few places with me before we break. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to help every man and every woman, every child be a Mary. It's our goal. It's all about him. It's not about serving. It's all about him. So can I bring up a few examples to help you 
Be like Mary. I want to be like Mary. She's a woman. I'm a man. I still want to be like Mary. Before Mary, I just want to be one of those kids breaking palm branches off and shouting Hosanna. That's what I really want to be. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Unbelievable. Mary anointed his feet. So, what can you do? Can you submit to your husband as if he were Jesus Christ? As unto the Lord? For Jesus Christ? In the way that you would do it to Jesus Christ? The way that Jesus Christ wants you to do it? Say, how far are you going to take that? As far as you want to take it, as long as you know how to keep your mind pure. Do everything as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything as he taught you how to do it. Do it for his honor and glory. Do it to please him. Those would be the highest performing women in the world. They would clean and dust like never before. Their vacuum cleaners would have an increase in cubic feet per air. Cubic feet of air per minute. As unto the Lord. It says it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Like we serve Jesus at church. But I'm not at church. I'm at home. I'm sweaty. I'm dirty. There's so much going on. My mind's being run. The phone's going off and somebody's at the door. I'm at home. I'm not at church. Jesus said, the Bible says, the apostles say that you can do it as the church does it. You know, here we are. We're all dressed up. We're formal. You're sitting. You're listening. We have an open Bible on a pulpit in front of you. I'm preaching to you. We're singing songs about Jesus. And we think, that's worship. It is. But, look what it says. As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wise be to their own husbands in everything. You can be worshiping Jesus, anointing him as you serve your husband. Bossy and opinionated wives are not even Martha, let alone Mary. They're Jezebels. Great women that reverence their husbands are known and loved by all. Proverbs eleven sixteen. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Five words. They're just like Mary being preached millions of times in all languages for 2,000 years. She was known, a virtuous woman, a truly virtuous woman is known and loved and esteemed and honored because it says so, Proverbs eleven sixteen. Odious wives that disrespect or oppose husbands or don't fulfill their jobs like they should are smelled by all, but it's an ugly aroma. It's Proverbs 27 and verses 15 and 16 where it says that an odious wife berayeth itself whenever her husband takes her into public. Everyone knows that he's married to an odious woman because she can't keep her mouth shut. And so she gives it away, the aroma. You want to hold your nose, it says it. If you take these verses and put them together and think about them, every, every woman in here that's married, you can anoint the feet of Jesus the way you are a wife. You say, are you going to get to the men? Okay. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Did I hear someone pray in the back room this morning among the men that that God would grant us, was it read to us from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, that God would grant us the might of his spirit 
in our inner man that we might know the love of Christ in all of its dimensions? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. So all those dimensions that Jesus Christ loved the church, we're supposed to apply toward our wives and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. That's the kind of wives we should be preparing, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. There we go. Okay, guys. You want to be like a Mary? You want to be like a Mary? Do I want to be like a Mary? Do you want to be more like a Mary than getting up here and telling you that I want to be like a Mary? Or being like those children with palm branches? Then I need to love my wife. And I need to love my wife the way that the Lord Jesus Christ loves me. And we men got together without our wives, and we talked about all the dimensions of Jesus Christ's love for us. And we talked about, we want the Holy Spirit from you, God, to know those dimensions of Jesus Christ's love better. Well, let's pray for the Holy Spirit in us to love our wives that same way. Because that's how we anoint the feet of Jesus Christ. Right. When you're selfish, it's Judas. When you're moody, it's Judas. When you sarcastically cutter, it's Judas. It's Judas. It's Judas. It's Judas. She's not worth it. Jesus said she's worth it as much as you're worth him. I didn't mean to preach on marriage. Forgive me. I'll always preach on everything that is here and comes to mind and is here in the word of God that is useful for us. Guys, look at Ephesians 6. Now come on, get excited with me. This isn't the best passage because Colossians 3 is, is very good as well, but I won't make you turn pages. Ephesians 6, 5. Servants. Who's got to go to work tomorrow? Oh, hey. Are we all on the... What's this new president done? I didn't see very many hands. Look at it. Servants. Oh, anybody that's going to a job tomorrow, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. One motive, one desire, one love, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, wanting them to see what you're doing, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You just don't do it outwardly, you do it inwardly because you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. With good will, doing service. Anybody got a King James Bible? As to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Who's your real paymaster? The Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do everything in the job? To the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the single goal that you have while you're working? To the Lord Jesus Christ. If we keep that, if we really get a hold of that and keep it and do it at all times, it will give us a balanced, gracious approach to all tasks that will be the most efficient, the most pleasing, most God-glorifying, and he will bless. I, I love hard work for hard work's sake. I love doing more than anyone else does in the office for doing more than anyone else does in the office. All those things, but when they are done as unto the Lord, look at this. Do you notice that verse 5, 6, 7, 8, all four say that you can do it as unto the Lord. Right. Every customer, as unto the Lord. And some customers, you'll need to do it as unto the Lord to keep you out of prison. <laughs> as unto the Lord. It's the way it is. Some bosses. 
And you know there's other passages that we could go to when you have an odious boss and you please him and work for him as unto the Lord. The Bible says it is thankworthy. Here it says, he shall receive of the Lord. Did Mary receive of the Lord? A memorial. A memorial was set up for that woman. 2,000 years, that memorial's been there. Millions of times preached. In all known languages, that woman has been preached. You can do it as unto the Lord. Men, get excited about work. As unto the Lord. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is given you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, but ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Take care of your body. Morally first. Hate fornication. Hate anything to do with polluting your body with sexual sins. Every time you forgive an offender, we're here in Ephesians, look at the last two verses of chapter 4. Let all bitterness... Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When we forgive someone, we're anointing the feet of Jesus Christ because we are acknowledging the forgiveness that we've received through him and we want to show it to others. Look at the pile of words that we were given. Get rid of all these, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, malice. Put these on, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving to the Lord. Every time you hold a grudge, every time you press an issue, you defraud Christ Jesus with a stench instead of anointing him with ointment. Every time you honor civil rulers for the Lord's sake, you anoint Jesus Christ. They are his ambassadors civilly. Every time you give financially to the kingdom of God, you anoint him. 2 Corinthians 9.13 Each time you get in the pulpit to praise God publicly, you anoint him. By the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name, Hebrews 13.15 Passionate public singing by men, women, and children anoint the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 16 tells us it's something we do in the house of God. Let the word of Christ, notice, it's the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you want to do something costly? Then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be overflowing with it. Have your balance sheet full of it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's an imperative instruction. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Build up a cost explosion inside to want to sing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You don't get his feet and you don't get ointment. You just get singing and it can be done to the Lord and others hear it and we're all lifted up when you do it. And you can do it costly by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly by not just being stingy about it. But that's why we prepare. That's why we pray. That's why we pray in the back room. We want to build up the richness of what we're going to give him rather than going through the motions. When Sherry and I visit other churches, 
we are astounded that the only sound in there is the instrumentation. Because the only singing that's being done is a little tiny bit of mumbling. Except those who want to be known as having singing in a choir so that they can put it on their LinkedIn report. Or on Facebook. The people in the audience are just mouthing the words barely because it's this organ, this piano. See, we go to churches that are really old-fashioned. Instead of the singing. Do you understand the wording throughout the whole Bible? We can anoint the feet of Jesus all the time. We do not have his feet right here right now, or we'd all be fighting for, fighting for them, I hope. But we can do everything else in our lives that way. I want to see the hands of our 12-year-olds. It's not very aggressive. <laughs> it's modest. Yes. Where's that other one? Yeah, I know where you are. Okay. Teenagers. Teenagers, you want to anoint the feet of Jesus Christ? Miriam, how, how many years till you're a teenager? I don't know what teenager is. Okay, well, okay. All that's my fault for asking. <laughs> Can a teenager anoint the feet of Jesus Christ? Amen. Three girls and one guy. You be pure and chaste and virtuous. Yeah. You keep your heart with all diligence and love your parents and obey them and serve them. You do what your mother tells you to in homeschooling, even in the subjects you don't like. Even when it means you have to put your Rubik's Cube down. <laughs> Honor your parents. Do it with cheerfulness. When she sends you outside in the rain, for whatever she sends you outside in the rain for, do it cheerfully. Mariah, love your parents and honor them and do it with zeal. You four are 12. There's a whole lot of other teenagers in here. You can give the Lord, you can, you can anoint the feet of Jesus with a costly substance, more costly than a pound of spikenard, by giving him the teenage years of your life, cheerful, thankful, right. happy, honoring your parents, zealously doing whatever they ask you. It is an aroma that will fill heaven and angels will rejoice. It is more costly and greater than a five-minute demonstration by Mary with Spike Nerd at the feet of Jesus. Will you embrace that? Will you embrace that idea and be Mary's through your parents to Jesus Christ? Do it as unto the Lord. Women, when you put on a modest garment and you know that it's not going to draw the same attention from the eyes of men, but it draws attention from the eyes of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he is anointed with a costly ointment by you choosing to adorn yourself with less of what the Bible, what the, what the world says adorns you, and more of what God's dressing manual says that adorns you. In Colossians 3.17 it says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything we do, we can do what Mary did in John chapter 12 and verse 3. You can't get much humbler than getting down at the feet of Jesus while others were sitting. Lazarus was on the same plane as the Lord Jesus.
Martha was running around. She got down at his feet. It's wonderful. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Her public act of love for Jesus Christ affected the olfactory nerves of everyone present. The olfactory nerves are what are in your nose. The aroma filled the house. Everyone knew that something special had just been done for the Lord Jesus. Public worship, even the New Testament, we teach and sing and admonish one another, one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen. David understood this and emphasized public praise for the benefit of others. The humble will hear thereof and rejoice. Our pulpit is always open for any man to praise and worship their Redeemer publicly and to let go a beautiful aroma in this place. The house... That was a living quarters. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. But we want to fill this house, the house of God of the New Testament, with the aroma of our praise. Amen. We want more than that. We want our marriages and our homes filled with the odor of loving Jesus Christ. There is, in a home where Jesus Christ is central and Jesus Christ is loved, there is an aroma, a spirit, an atmosphere of warmth, of praise, of happiness, of contentment, cheerfulness, worship that is different from other homes. You can't replace it with decor, furniture, or anything else. It is only by being a Christ-centered home. Let's do that in our homes, in our marriages, in this church, and in everything you do, including going to work tomorrow at Clemson University and everywhere else that your duties call you, men and women. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.